0: What I would like to do this morning is to, to share with you, kind of like I did last time, from the Word, but, but the way we kind of do it on campus. Uh, being an athletic ministry, trying to, to work with athletes, we want to, to make the Bible relevant to the athletes, their sport, their competition. We want to help the athlete understand better how the Bible relates to practice as well as competition. There are so many athletes that don't. They don't get that connection who are Christians. I mean, they understand how, how Christianity relates on a Sunday morning or going to a conference or, or a retreat or coming to AIA night, but how does it how does it work in terms of uh, when we compete? And so uh, that's one of the things we're trying to do. Uh, also, these principles are transferable. So even though you may notice a little bit of a, an athletic flavor to the content, uh, I think you'll also see where the, the biblical truth transcends to... Uh, well, every area of life, because that's what the Bible does. Now, I did throw Marilyn a little curve uh, when she uh, asked, uh, I called up and I gave her the the title for the text uh, for the sermon this morning. I I changed it last night. So you'll see in your notes a little different title. Uh, I've, in fact, entitled this, Where is the life in the living when the living seems lifeless? Have you ever wondered that in your life as you go through the journey that you're going through. Well, I, I want to talk this morning about motivation, and uh, we're going to look at it from uh, Luke's Gospel, from a familiar passage, a parable, that many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with, dealing with the prodigal son, but we're going to kind of come at it from a little bit of a, of a different slant, looking at it from the standpoint of what should be the real motivation for what we do in life. If, maybe at this point, if we could show that little uh, video and it's, it's, uh, it's very simple. What I want you to do is I want you to observe this video and, and see what, what do you think is motivating these people, okay, as they are running. And I'm going to ask you, quiz you. Okay, let me, let me ask you, what, what were some things there that you saw that people were motivated to be running from? Self-preservation? Okay, very good. Fear, yes. Food. <laughs> Don't you wish, hunters, that was that easy? Chase, I've never been able to get that close to a deer. Anyone else? What what motivated that last guy? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no, he was just running, man. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of motivation there in terms of, uh, um, you know, what was going on in his life. Well, again, as I mentioned before, i want to see if this thing. Yeah, there you go. What I want to ask us, and I should have removed that one. What I really wanted to ask is, is what motivates you in life? What, what gets you out of the bed? What gets you going? What gets you to, to, to work or to school or whatever you do um, in life? We're going to look at it, as I mentioned, from the parable of um, the uh, prodigal son. We're going to look at it from the two brothers, okay? And two ways in which these individuals were motivated in life. And then we'll, what we want to do is we want to look at what should really be our motivation for, for why we do what we do in, in life. So if you have your Bibles, if you're over in Luke 15, I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. And uh, just to, to kind of give us a, a flow of where we're going, in verse 11 of chapter 15. Starting in verse 11, it says this. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son uh, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field's But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he, uh, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother be- became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, as I mentioned in that text there, that it's a very familiar text for us, but the issue becomes one of this. As we think about that aspect, the aspect of what motivates us, think about that in your own life. What is it that kind of gets you going, whatever you do? I know for some people these could be some, some of the characteristics that may motivate them for why they do what they do in life. Maybe some of those things are familiar with you. I, I know there was a time in my life um, when I was motivated, and I thought it was a, probably a good motivation at the time, but, but you know one of the problems is, is this. If, if we're not motivated properly, you've got a difficulty in terms of, of keeping the motivation going. For example, back when I was in high school, which was a few years ago, my, my uh, sophomore year, I went out for the football team, and we had a tradition in the football uh, program at that time, at that high school, that at the last practice of the, of the last game of the season, uh, it was called Senior Day, and the seniors could pick, could pick any underclassmen they wanted to and hit them one, well, one last time, and so the team at the end of practice, we, we line up in, in, in two rows uh, facing each other about 10 yards apart. And if you got chosen to go out there in the middle, you would hold the football right in in the midsection tightly, and you just had to stand there. And that senior could go 100 yards away and and come at you full speed and hit you. Well, I had the dubious honor of not being called out once, not twice, but five times. Yeah, it was a little (sighs) embarrassing, to say the least. But we also had this neat little thing at the end of our school, in the end of the Football practice field called the moat. It was this stinky, swampy area of, of stagnant water with cattails. We don't know why it stunk, but it always stunk, and we called it the moat. Well, not only did I get called out five times, but then I got thrown in the moat. And it was a day in which it was uh, kind of like today. It actually snowed uh, coming up here. We it was cold enough that day in practice. We had snow showers. So um, again. Um, not a very uh, pleasant experience as i walked into the uh, locker room and every head and eye turned towards me as i was just covered in this gunk and stunk to high heaven and of course that got you know that that experience got permeated throughout the high school so you talk about being embarrassed and being humiliated and ashamed what do you think by the way motivated me maybe as i was getting ready for the spring season on track and field well i'll tell you what motivated me because I was very motivated by that word right there, revenge. And and I wanted to succeed, and I I had my pride hurt, and there was anger, all these things that that motivated me that season, uh, the off-season, as I prepared for the spring. Why? Because all five of those seniors that called me out also competed on the track team. In fact, some of them competed in the same events I competed in. So I was going to make sure that I was going to beat them. And so that, that, that winter, I worked out six days a week because I was told the seventh day was supposed to be a day of rest. And I lifted weights, and I ran, and I, 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 uh, I remember running through uh, uh, thunderstorms. I remember literally running through snowstorms, blizzard conditions. I ran in, in minus 20-degree weather. In fact, it was so stupid of me, I should have died. We, we had this bridge that um, connected our township with the city. And it was part of this six-mile route I would take when I was running, um, and it, it snow had piled up so high that it was at the top of of the uh, guardrail or of the, uh, the the railing, and I'm running on top of that snow. If I'd fallen off, <laughs> it was 150 feet down to the to the bottom of the, uh, the what we call the gully there, the gulf. I think back and I that was stupid, man, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but I was really really motivated. Well, came springtime, I couldn't wait. Seniors were going to come out, and I was going to show them up. Well, you know what happened? None of those five seniors came out for the track team. They got that thing back then we called senioritis. I don't know if they still call that. The, they just didn't care. It didn't come out. I thought, well, what's going to motivate me now? Well, I thought, okay, I will, I will go for the MVP. I want to be the most valuable player on the track team. And so that motivated me. And uh, that happened. I was given that award as the MVP. The problem was, w- my junior year, <laughs> what was going to motivate me now? The seniors had already graduated. And so I was like, well, all right, I'll, I'll just keep trying to do the best I can. And, and, and again, it, it was, you know, God was good. Uh, you know, there was a blessing there. I was able to, to post the fifth fastest time in the 200-meter sprints for a young man my age that year. But the problem was this. As time went on, as I got into my senior year, it seemed everybody expected you to win. And so there there, there actually became not so much a a motivation, but there was really the fear of losing that began to control me because I I couldn't find the motivation to get up and get going. Uh, I had pressure from my teammates, pressure from the coaches, pressure from family, pressure from friends. It it seemed like whenever I got on the track, the expectation was that Tim McGill would win his event. I couldn't handle that pressure. And I haven't shared this with many people, but in a senior year, uh, one, of the, one of the meets, that was, uh, we, it was to qualify you for states, to be able to go to states and compete. I purposely false started because I didn't want to go to states. I didn't want that pressure because I feared losing. Now, for a while, the fear of losing can help. But if you're not properly motivated, and I never went to states, and I regret that to this day. Well, again, I don't know, as you look at, at, at that issue in terms of the aspect of, of what it may be that motivates you, I want to look at these two brothers um, this morning. And if you, if you want to take notes, um, I've actually set this up so that you can take notes. If, if that's not your thing, you don't have to, but some people find that uh, a little more helpful. As I mentioned, we're going to look at the younger son's motivation, and then, and then we're going to look at the, uh, the older son's motivation because there's two different kinds of motivation that are happening. Okay, in, in the younger son's motivation... What we can see is we read the text. We could see that he was motivated by worldly pleasures. Um, basically, he was looking for life. You know, where is the life in the living when the living seems lifeless? He was looking for that, but, but independent of God. And so, you know, as as the text there talks about, he um, he approached his dad, which was a real social insult back then, and he said, "Dad, I I, I want my inheritance." In essence, back then, if if you were to ask your your father that, you were saying, "Dad, I wish you were dead." It was an insult, and yet we see from the text there that his dad gives him the money, and and he goes off. Um, and, and so there there are a couple things that that are happening here that I think is important for us to look at. Uh, number one, that the pursuit of of a life that is being lived independent of God. In verses twelve and thirteen, we just we looked at that there earlier in terms of of uh, the younger son wanting uh, this the, the inheritance from his dad. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because he wants freedom. How many of us not, have not wanted that at times? I see it every year, this new batch of freshmen that come in, and they come in and, and they've got the freedom for the first time. And uh, they, they, sometimes they misuse that freedom. But I am think this younger son here, he's thinking that he's missing out on something. You know, staying on the farm just isn't where it's at. You know, uh, you know, staying with dad, that, that's not enough. And so to him, I think inheritance might mean life. You know, that, that's kind of where he's going to get a life, and he's really going to enjoy things. He's motivated by get. Um, and I think that, that oftentimes uh, can apply to many of us in terms of circumstances and situations that we may be facing in our life. But what happens? The result of a life that is lived independent of God, well, eventually, you notice there in verses 14, uh, through sixteen, uh, there that uh, there's a there's a famine that hits. Uh, he's run out of money because he's just giving it away and enjoying himself uh, so much, and, and he's literally starving physically. Uh, he's desperate. Think about this: he is a Jewish person that is slopping pigs. That that was just a, a big no-no for the Jewish person back then. Uh, to, to, of course, you wouldn't eat one because it was not kosher. But the you know. Just to be working around him was not, was not a good thing. It shows, I think, the desperateness of where this young man w- was at. Not only that, but I think th- there's a feeling of uselessness. You know, Not only was there a physical famine going on, but his soul was, was starving. Because, again, he's trying to live life based upon being independent of God. The response, though, that's what I want us to look at. The response is really important here. In verse 17, it talks about how this young man came to his senses. He gets honest with himself. He realizes that, you know, trying to live a life that is independent of God is not what it's all cracked up to be. And so he humbly, he repents, he he humbles himself, he repents, and and he comes back to uh, his senses, if if you will. Not only that, but he comes back to his father. Now, we're not going to look at the father's response here at this particular point. We will come back to it. But um, um, obviously he comes back and uh, his party, his father throws him a party and, and accepts him back into the family, uh, so to speak. Uh, not that he ever really left, although physically he did, but I, I think the dad had this attitude that he was always uh, my son. So again, we, we see that his motivation was one of, okay, I want to live independent of God. Well, for many of us, we're, we're going to probably relate to the older son. See, the older son is is motivated by personal performance. He's looking for life. Where is the life in the living? Well, he's finding it in performing for God, or so he thinks. How many of us have ever been in that state where where we think we're going to get more acceptance, we're going to get more favor from God by by performing for him? But what we're going to see is that, well, that's not where it's at either. You see, the pursuit of a life of performance, again, if you look, For example, in verse 29, in our text here, we we can see that, well, I don't know if the brother's really, the older brother's really, really finding, you know, satisfaction and fulfillment in life with that kind of attitude. Verse 29, he says, he answers his dad, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed your orders, you've never given me a party, is basically what he's saying. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, that's true, Uh, the text doesn't say that, that the dad ever gave him a party, but... The text also doesn't say that the son ever asked his dad for a party. Knowing what we know about the character of this father, he probably would have given him one if the boy had asked. Uh, but he doesn't. So here's is, here is the older boy who's been working maybe 20, 30 years, doing the right thing, never disobeying. He demands justice. You know, his father's love isn't, isn't enough. He wants his dad to thank him, to throw him a party, to celebrate. And he's mad because he feels he deserves it as a result of good behavior. And again, the result of this, of a life of performance, well, verse 28, he's focused on himself. He's angry, he's bitter, he's stubborn, he's proud. He's judging others. If you notice there in verse, uh, uh, what is it, 30, 29, 30. He says, but when this son of yours, he's talking to his dad, wait a minute, he's your brother. <laughs> but, but, you know, he's being judgmental. This, you know, this this son of yours comes back, you know, the money he squandered on prostitutes. You kill the fattened calf. You know what's up with that? See, one of the problems I think of, of the results of a life of performance is that we begin to feel in, in the Christian walk that what we're doing is duty. It, it, it leaves no room for joy or for freedom. I think that's where the older brother was at. Now, his response to the situation, I think, is very similar to, should have been very similar to the younger brother's response. Uh, He needs to come to his senses and realize how much the father already loves him and and wants to give him everything that, that he really needs or wants. See, the older brother is motivated to get attention and approval and acceptance by performing for his father. Maybe at this point it would be good to stop. Let's, let's do this, uh, this next uh, little, uh, well, it's, it's not a commercial, but it's a story. It's pretty self-explanatory. And uh, maybe some of you have seen this. This is a true ex- experience from an athlete from the 92 Olympic. Hm. Motivation. What should be the thing that motivates us in life? You know, there are going to be times when we're going to be down. We're going to be hurting. Motivation. I think the best thing to motivate us in life is God's love and grace. Where is the life in the living? When the living seems lifeless? It's found in Christ alone. And just like Derek's father came out of the stands to help him as he was dealing with that pain and the suffering there, he came alongside that's what God wants to do with us, to help us as, as we go through life, because at times it is going to be challenging for us. Now, again, just quickly, because I want to I be able to move, move through this. So I want us to talk a little bit about the father here and, and not forget about him, to see how he responded to both of these situations. You see, with the younger son who was, uh, it was a, uh, someone that was going out and was seeking pleasure, living life apart from God, You see that in verse 20 that the father runs out to him. Now, do you think that the father possibly every day was going down to that road and was looking and wondering, could this be the day that my son returns? It wouldn't surprise me if he did it daily, but he certainly did it on a regular basis. And when he sees him from far off, he runs to him. See, I think the picture that, that Jesus is trying to communicate through this parable is that the father knows. He sees. He cares. <laughs> and here is the, the younger son who's coming. He's, he's broken. He's ashamed. He's dirty. And the father just wraps him in his loving arms, puts on new clothes, gives him a ring, accepts him. There's, there's a, a celebration that happens. Now, he does a similar thing with the older son. The older son, who's driven by, by performance... We saw that in verse 28, and, and, and again in verse 31. Uh, we see in 28, the father's almost begging to receive, uh, to have the older son to receive his love. The older brother's angry, but the father goes out. He's pleading with him, <laughs> you know. And then in the verse 31, the father calls the older son, my son. That word son is, is a term of endearment that he's communicating there. He says, look, you've always been with me. and Everything I have is yours. You know, we come to know Christ as our Savior, God is with us. He's not just going to come on that track when we need Him. And then, you know, where that, that illustration breaks down is then the dad let, you know, Derek go on his own. God's going to be with us through the finish line if we we'll let Him. He isn't leaving. See, the, the aspect of, is, is God's love, His grace for us. So this is the result, I think, of both is simply this a result of coming to god either son either way coming to him in honesty and humility to be ready to accept all that god has for us and and to use that now the problem is this oftentimes our identity is so wrapped up in in what we are doing how we're trying to live life that that sometimes that gets in the way of allowing us to experience god's love and his grace more fully what do i mean by that well I have found this helpful in terms of understanding the two different systems of, of our identity. Our identity is who are we as Christians, all right? Um, and, and what is our value? Where where we find self-worth and value? Well, the world basically says this. Ba- the world basically says that your self-worth or your value, it is based upon our performance. How well are you doing in school? How well are you doing at work? How well, are You know, moms, those of you that are wise, how well are you doing with the housework and taking care of the kids? See, it's all based upon how we perform as well as the opinions of others. Again, if, there we go. As well as, as what other people think about us. Well, the athletes really understand that because, you know, so much of their world is based upon how well you perform, what coach thinks and says. You know, I was trying to get my coach's attention by, uh, you know, practicing hard, but, uh, you know didn't work too well but my self worth went down uh, but but there's another formula if we really understand what God says you see w- what is important in God's eyes in terms of your value your self worth is this it's what God declares to be true about you and that means we've got to go back to scripture we've got to understand what what are our rights as a Christian what does what does God say that is true about us in John 17 17 Jesus said look in, in, in the great priestly prayer that that he was praying for his disciples he said father sanctify them he's talking about the disciples then as well as you and I today sanctify means set them apart make them different how in truth and then he goes on to say your word is truth so in other words the truest thing about you and me is not necessarily what what we may feel or what other people may say but it's what God says and I just want to quickly kind of do this. I want to kind of run through some lies that are true. Have you ever felt this way? If I fail, I am unworthy of love and I deserve punishment, especially if you mess up in a big way, huh? You ever felt that way? Yeah. Now, you know what that is? That's a big lie. Why? Because of what God's Word says. See, God says this His anger has been satisfied because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, His death. His blood, we shared, we, we sang one of those songs that talked about the blood of Christ, how it cleanses us. We're never going to be punished. His wrath is not going to be upon us. Sometimes we we think this way, I've got to meet certain standards to feel good about myself. It, isn't that true, huh? Well, again, that's a lie. Why? Because of what God's Word says. You are completely forgiven. You are fully pleasing to God. You can't, you can't be more accepted by God than you already are if you know Christ is your Savior. Huh. Well, how about this one? I must be approved and accepted by others to feel good about myself. Yeah, there's a lot of peer pressure there that goes on. But again, that's a lie. It comes right from the pit. Why? Because of what God's Word says here. You're totally accepted by God, and he calls you to be his friend forever. Let me do this. Let me, uh, let me just move on quickly with this one. And uh, can you key up that last little video to kind of help balance the aspect of God's grace as we look at these two brothers? little quick video, and then we'll close our time.
1: halfway stage from a truly international field when he kicked in two laps, 800 meters in two minutes, 10 seconds. But gradually they're getting to him. It's been a long and lonely trek for him, and chasing him now. Shahanger, the Commonwealth Games 10000 meter champion from Tanzania and the world cross-country champion from Ethiopia, uh, Debala. But Jones has run a really gallant race. Only he can hang up now, he's got the crowd with him entirely. He's got all the running, but they are closing. And of course he's got very little finishing speed. So there's the battle. 400 meters left. Can he find something? As Shahanga starts to move. Oh, raw courage here from Steve Jones. This crowd who loved their distance runners He's doing a Brendan Foster. is doing a David Bedford. Shahngar's getting after him, but the crowd have loved the way that he's taken it off, and he's really trying to get away. Shahngar closing all the time. Two hundred meters left. Joe's looking with trouble and the trouble is there. Johanga's got to use his sight now.
0: The question really before us this morning is this. How will you respond to God's love and grace? That's a choice we can make. The two videos depict kind of the the Reader's Digest version or kind of summing up this this little parable. One with with Derek's father coming alongside him, representing maybe our father, the, the Heavenly Father, who wants to help us. But then also watching Steve Jones and that he doesn't give up. He continues on. It's a great balance there in terms of what God is expecting from us, what we can see in terms of, of the proper motivation uh, of experiencing his love and grace for us to make those choices, those good choices, to believe God and his word, what he says to be true for us, and to watch his transformation power, uh, the Holy Spirit, to, to change us from within to become all that God desires for us to be. Where is the life in the living? When the living seems lifeless, it's found in God's love and His grace.